0: Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk Failure. I'm your host, Rainer, and today our very special guest is none other than Dr. Wan Rizal, who is currently a senior lecturer at Republic Polytechnic and a sitting MP for Jalan Besar GRC. However, what is lesser known about our guest today is that he was previously a normal academic student during his secondary school days and completed his bachelor's degree in physical education at the age of 31. Hi, Dr. Rizal, a very warm welcome to the show.
1: Hi, uh, Rainer. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yes, thank you for agreeing and I think maybe to get us rolling, could you tell us a bit more about your childhood growing up in a kampong?
1: Okay, so I I grew up in a kampong, really my first five years. Uh, Back then, kampong was still a norm. So my kampong is actually where Taki Bukit is now. I think we were quite a modest family, it's just that in one house you will have many families inside, you know. So I live very closely with my aunties and my cousins. So uh, to be honest, I actually had a very good childhood. I remember spending many, many days playing uh, back then in the kampong. So it's a different lifestyle altogether.
0: I see. I think not many of us youths know what it's like to really grow up in a kampong.
1: Actually, it's not that difficult, now. I I now that I go for my runs in the morning at Pasir Park, you'll see lots of uh, you know chickens everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 that's part of uh, you know living in the wildlife, lah, I suppose you'll see lots of other animals around you. So that, that brings me memories also.
0: <laughs> oh, that's nice, nice. Um, what about your your schooling days then? Uh, how are you like as a primary and secondary school student?
1: Uh, I would say that um, I was not a. Uh, I wasn't that smart of a student. I think one of the things I only realized later in my later years is that I'm actually dyslexic. So, uh, to be honest, I I have problems with words. And, you know, sometimes uh, reading is one, definitely. But, of course, to speak is also another issue for me. Uh, But I think this is one of the adversities that I went through. So, I really struggled in school because I couldn't read or write up till maybe a really late stage in the primary school. Suddenly, everything clicked. Uh, the only thing I could do was maths because I think there was not many words in maths, you know, but uh, it was it was just it. Uh, I could do maths, but I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't read, I couldn't write, couldn't spell for the longest time, I remember, until one day and everything clicked in.
0: How was, how was that actually like, you know, um, struggling with schoolwork and then uh, ending up in the normal academic stream? Were there any expectations that you uh, faced or how did you feel about yourself then?
1: Uh, so... You know, I I think the expectation on me was really, uh, wasn't high, to be honest. I I think my my parents hoped for something, uh, but, you know, uh, results don't materialize, and that's how the PSLE results actually was not to our favor. Uh, But to be honest, I really picked up really late, you know, these reading skills, writing skills, spelling. Uh, So, I mean, on hindsight, I think I was quite lucky to even go through uh, PSLE but being at that stage, you know, it was quite disheartening because I had good grades for maths, but uh, but pretty much else was horrible. Uh, so going to secondary school, things got better. Uh, of course, I, I begin to, to understand a lot more context. So when I write and I read and I do stuff now with words, it got a lot better. And I think that helped in my secondary school. So in terms of how I feel, of course, I feel lousy, you know. Uh, because you're always compared with everyone else. And back then, if if you think about it, that's just normal and express. If you are good, you're supposed to be express. If you're not good, I mean, people would relate that to normal stream. And I, I think that's how I felt. Uh, I, I always felt I could do more, I could do better, but I was constrained by many things that I, I couldn't explain back then. Uh, so, uh, of course, I felt lousy, but I think well, one thing that never changed for me was that I think uh, that's when my uh, subject mastery in maths and, and in this kind of logical thinking actually helped me a lot more as I tried to bridge the gap between language and, and other things. So, things turned out better in, in secondary school. I didn't pick quite early so. Uh, I was just as normal as I could be. Uh, maybe had other distractions. You know, I, was, I really like sports, so I, I love mm. playing sports. And I, on hindsight, now that I've learned a bit more, I felt that sports was for me an exit uh, to run away from the problems that I had, which was really uh, reading and writing uh, I see. because of my dyslexia. No, I mean, back then, we didn't know it was dyslexia. You know? It was really mm. because I'm horrible, you know. Uh, I couldn't figure words out. I couldn't even read. Uh, but things got better, and I think it was a lot of self-discovery for me back then because there was no way to diagnose me. I think my parents also had that problem. Um, up until today, they couldn't believe that I'm dyslexic. But right now, my children, mm-hmm. I've got four kids. Two of them are dyslexia, And I was, I'm i glad that we actually managed to identify early for them so they can get the proper intervention that we need. I see. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. I, I it was a bit of a struggle. Uh, it was lousy feeling. Uh, but I was glad that, you know, these are small things that uh, became a factor as I grew stronger in that sense, uh, mentally. Yeah.
0: Thanks for sharing about such a vulnerable experience, right? I think with the, with the two streams, getting streamed to normal academic might not feel very good. However, I, I think there's still this idea of streaming that is prevalent in our education system today. Uh, with the recent uh, developments in like full subject-based banding piloted across more schools, um, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think um, streaming should be abolished?
1: Uh, I've always felt that uh, streaming, I wouldn't say abolish. You know, there is always <laughs> a need to categorize certain things. It's just that sometimes when we categorize things, it gets a bit crude. Now. Uh, it's not like hot and cold, you know, when it comes to education. Because when it comes to education, and I think this is something that the ministry now realize, it's not just about your academic uh, skills and knowledge. Uh, it's about other factors. And I think this is something that I'm grateful that, you know, our children nowadays, our students nowadays are able to see that there are different pathways to success. I think this is important mm. for us to, uh, to, to take note of. Uh, I'll go back to the subject, it is bending, but I think the whole idea here is that we want everybody to succeed in what they are really good at. I mm. think we all have different strengths and weaknesses. I think this is something we all have to accept. Each and every one of us are unique. And I think because of this uniqueness, there is a need for us to go a bit granular in terms of how we want to differentiate things. And I don't blame uh, streaming, to be honest, uh, but uh, it's something that we could improve on, especially recognizing different talents, different kind of strengths that we all have. I'll give you an example. Uh, my yes. son, mm-hmm. uh, he's in secondary school now. And like me, he's only good at maths. So his secondary one and two. He had horrible grades. You know, he's in the express trip. But, uh, but to be honest, his results did not show because he was struggling in the humanities his literature, his geography. We thought it was dyslexia too, but it wasn't. It's just that he has an inclination towards maths and everything that's related. So in secondary three, that's when you get to choose your subjects, right? Mm-hmm. And he chose a combination that actually was in his favor. He did things like accountancy. Uh, he does A maths and E maths, whatever maths you can get a pull of. Mm. And, and I think that really should in his results because right now he's enjoying the subjects. He's really enjoying school because he's you know, suddenly doing things that he likes. And, uh, and he's now also representing the school in accountancy uh, and programming kind of uh, competitions, which is really to his forte. Oh, that's wonderful. And this is where I think subject-based bending comes in, you know. Mm. Because subject-based banding allows you to choose something that interests you, uh, something that you're passionate about and it could pr- push you further. And it's the same thing for me. Hmm. I was really much a normal student all the way, in, even in polytechnic. I, I could pass, I'm a B student, I could get my occasional A's. Mm-hmm. But it was not something that never triggered me further. Only when I became a PE teacher, that's when I did subjects like anatomy, physiology, biomechanics. And suddenly everything clicked. And when I did my degree, it was straight A's. Because, you know, it's something that I not only relate to, I'm passionate about. And I think mm-hmm. this is where we have gone right in terms of subject Base bending. If we can go down and we can understand what are your interests, if you can explore that further and exploit your strengths rather than to uh, make your weakness be so apparent. Uh, Mm -hmm. It could go both ways in terms of how you could develop uh, mentally and how you could develop academically in the same sense.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing about that. I think um, maybe sharing a bit myself, I'm currently in the Humanities program. So it's a bit of of the opposite, right? My maths and science aren't as strong, but I really love the humanities, like history, uh, economics, literature. So yeah, I think I'm glad that there's that opportunity to do more of that in the A-levels. And many of the listeners are also my classmates and they're also in the same program. And yeah, we really enjoy the whole uh, subjects and the class. I think it's very important, like you mentioned, to do something that you're passionate about and study uh, something that you like. However, I still recognise that You know, some people are not very academically inclined. I think for you, it was sports that you're truly interested in, right? Could you tell us a bit more about uh, your decision to become a PE teacher and to pursue physical education as a career?
1: So for me, I I, I would say that a PE teacher thing was never in my mind, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It was not the sort of thing that you wanted to grow up and be, you know? For me, it was always this idea of being an engineer. My father was in SIA, so I was always interested to You know, in some way, become an SIE engineer. Uh, But, uh, I mean, that route was almost there because I had my diploma in electronics. I had an engineering Mm -hmm. background. I would say that it was almost there. Uh, But what really drew me to become a PE teacher was that, to be honest, I I grew up scrawny and and not Mm -hmm. sports-centric. I I love sports. I like playing sports. But I was never excelling in sports. And until I went to poly, that's when I I represented the poly in track and field. No, I, I found out that I could run. But it was a bit too late because I was in secondary five and that was the only year I, I told myself that maybe I could do it. And I and I excelled in it. So I tried again in poly and I did quite okay. Uh, I went into hurdles, to be honest. Oh. Uh, something very different. Because the challenge of crossing hurdles and running somehow excited me. And I, I, I took I took on that challenge and I enjoyed hurdles. And I had that really wholesome polytechnic life that revolves around track and field. And that passion for sports actually grew, mm. uh, even throughout NS. Before I was a PE teacher, I signed on with uh, Civil Defence. But, you know, uh, somehow I, I felt that PE teacher was something that I was interested to try. At the back of my mind, I knew that being a teacher gave me an option to get a degree. And I thought that, you know, I didn't come from a rich family. And I wasn't smart enough to go into university direct. So I had to, you know, adapt and find out other ways to get it. And, and that's what I did. I, I took that plunge. That passion grew. I, I, I was really comfortable teaching. I enjoyed uh, this whole idea of uh, not just teaching, but planning lessons. and And, and that actually helped me a lot. So I, I guess that's how it started, how
0: I really became a PE teacher. I see. And you also mentioned about your degree that you got when you were 31. Um, how was that experience? Were, were there any challenges or setbacks that you experienced along the way?
1: Yeah, so when I did my diploma in physical education, there was this option to do another two years to complete it and be a, make it a degree. But you know, I I met my wife at NIE doing teacher training,
0: uh-huh. and
1: we made that decision that uh, one of us should continue studies and one of us should start working so we can at least start a family, and and that's what we exactly did. My wife continued her studies. I I focus on our wedding on our house and getting ourselves settled down so that was the big part of my two years after that so I took a break from studies she took that two years to do her degree she came back with a second upper so that already set a standard right (laughs) when she came back we told ourselves that it's my turn to go so I took the chance to do my degree so I start back then when I started a degree I was in the midst of Getting a child, my firstborn. And there were other challenges involved like in that sense, you know, because I was already a working adult. I had to stop full-time to do my degree full-time. The challenges were that I was competing with the younger ones who were direct degree students. They don't come with other baggages, you know, like family and juggling finances. And then and, and exa- that's exactly what I had to do. I had to juggle finances. I had to make sure that uh, my family is, is still looked after. And I'm glad, you know, that such adversity actually pushed to on further. I came out with unique ways of studying uh, based on, on what I learned. Uh, I, I took a different path, but I really uh, would say that the adversity that I faced is completely different from a normal student. Of course, mm-hmm. we have all the challenges of, you know, trying to meet our grades, yes. but for me to juggle with finances and family so I remember, you know, there was one time I I was really struggling with finances and I, I was in the midst of my degree and I think it was in my last six months and I really uh, had no more cash in my bank. Uh, I was really struggling. I had, I remember I had 170 in my pocket and you know, that's all I had to eat for lunch, breakfast and dinner, because that's how it works, right? So as a uni student struggling with everything else, and you don't want to burden your wife because your wife is already just started working and you know, mm-hmm. she's already helping out. So you also want to try to be independent. But I already used up whatever savings I had right then. So I remember I had 170 and I remember I went to the to the stall uh, and I went to Yong Tao stall simply because uh, you know you could choose all your options and mm-hmm. you could yeah. make it 170 if you really wanted to. And I made sure I had late lunch, cover me for dinner at the same time. And and I remember that 170 a lot because that was the really one time I told myself that this is it, you know, this is exactly what we're fighting for. I really do not know what would be in store for me in the future, but I knew that whatever I had to do, I had to make sure that I get it right. Mm -hmm. Uh, The struggle is real, but the family is the one that I know that will benefit all this, you know, from all this struggle. So uh, that's my 170 story if I could share with you.
0: Thanks so much for sharing that. I think it's uh, really unimaginable to go through university, which is hard enough already, and also all the financial struggles and taking care of your family on top of that. can I find out, um, how did you actually get out of that uh, situation? Did you seek help from anyone? or And what did you learn in the process also?
1: Uh, yeah, so, so you know, I, I think when it comes to side struggles, always remember that you're not alone. And I think this is something I'm grateful for. I had a very good support system. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife is, you know, she's always there for me. And of course, I have my parents alongside me. And I think they were very supportive On that end, because it could be very easily shown that, you know, I'm a poor father and I focus too much on myself because the study is really on on you, right? Uh, But some people don't see that actually when you are actually doing studies or having a family is actually a big, a big, big sacrifice. So that's why I keep on picking up in parliament about those who are actually adult learners Mm -hmm. and how it is a struggle for them and how much support you really need to give them. And I'm glad, you know, that we now have a lot of support for those who are actually mid-career entrants or those who are adult learners. But at the same time, we are making sure that everyone who's going through education goes through a very good and thorough process. It's just that uh, different people have different circumstances and I think we go goes back to the basic point that everyone is unique and this is something that uh, we have to remember. And your own support system, your own unique support system could be different. Like for me, I have my family members. For you, it could be your friends. And I think these are also support systems that are important. I also found that the support system need not end there. Uh, there are mm-hmm. support systems online uh, that you could get in touch with or offline that you, if you are willing to talk to, they're willing to talk to you. Uh, over the past few months, I've worked with uh, It All Starts here. There are a bunch of people who volunteer and listen out and hear your problems. That's, what, that's all they do. They hear your problems and if it's serious enough, of course, they, they'll get someone to intervene. But sometimes you just need someone to talk to. You know, I think this is something that... Uh, We try not to cut off. And as an MP, you know, I I realised that uh, I've been opening up myself to a lot more residents who are, you know, they feel free to share with me their their issues. Most importantly, do not be shy to reach out for help. I think this is important. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, really indeed. Today, there are so many more avenues that uh, as students or even working adults, they can seek help. Uh, For my school, uh, we have this uh, Raffles Guidance Centre, which is this counselling room. Uh, Though there used to be some stigma against going to seek help counselling, it's gotten a lot better now. I think even for myself, I've been there two to three times. Um, But yeah, I think your your, your experience back then was really, really very precious. I mean, it must have been hard, but I'm really glad that you had your uh, network of support and you really grew out of that experience as a more resilient person that you are. Hmm. You, so, you so mentioned about uh, now your work as an MP, right? I think we're, we're a bit interested. How did you get from uh, you know, a senior lecturer in public quality, where you were your, your lowest point, to where you are today as an MP?
1: Yeah, so in fact, I, I would have never imagined, imagined this. Uh, mm. You know, I came from a normal academic stream. I think to imagine myself being a PE teacher is already out of the frame. But to see myself as an MP was never, ever crossed my mind, even uh, till very late uh, in this political career. Uh, But to be honest, uh, it was never something that I planned. You know, when I did my PhD, Mm I was also the chairman for most Building Committee in Punggul. So back then I was a teacher and Punggul was a new estate. And they wanted to have a mosque and they wanted to have a committee that looks into fundraising and, and getting the mosque up. And they were struggling to find a chairman uh, for about six months. And eventually someone got in touch with me and asked me if I wanted to do. But I said that I had you no know, reservations because I was going to do my PhD in a few months time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought it would be very heavy to, to touch, to take on such big responsibilities because being you know building a mosque is not just about building a mosque. It's not about just raising funds, but it's really raising a community that works well with the whole community, you know. And we had to really make sure that as the mosque grows up, the community grows and it becomes a community that works very well with other communities around them. So that was was at the back of my mind. It was a big responsibility, but, uh, you know, I, I grew up with my grandmother. And my grandmother back then was, was sick. I think it was one of her death wish that You know, I I took it up. And, uh, you know, when someone makes that request, uh, you you don't say no. And I took it up and I'm glad I did because it gave me a different perspective altogether. You know, as a teacher, I was very comfortable. I was earning, I think, enough. And I was in a bubble that was happy with. You know, my students happy and my stakeholders are happy. You know, life to me was good. Uh, But eventually I realized that uh, you know, when I took on these community roles that there are bigger issues that's that is happening. And, uh, and I think like what you've shared recently, uh, your exposure to community work is exactly that. You know, it gave me a different perspective completely, but made me realize that we are so small within a community and we all need to play our part to make sure that if you want a community that cares for one another, a community that is inclusive, that we all have to play our part. And so I'm glad that I took that opportunity to be a chairman, I was there up all the way until the mosque was ready, and when the mosque was ready, I left after the second year, but I've already established good relationship with, you know, the grassroots leaders around because uh, my idea of a mosque was never about a mosque it's really about another node within the community, and that's when I I grew grew closer to some of the grassroots advisors, I I remember back then, I was working closely with uh, uh, SMTO now SMTO and uh, back then was the MP for Pastoris, Zainal Safari, who happens to be my secondary school teacher for five years. Oh. So he was my secondary school form teacher for five years. So when he became an MP and, and I was a uh, resident in Pastoris, he made sure that I eventually helped him out. I was reluctant too because I was never in, interested in politics or helping out at that level. But when he asked me to join, as uh, just to help him out in MPS, a petition writer, mm-hmm. that's when I really noticed there are so many issues on the ground that I have not been exposed to. And, and there were so many residents who are from the minority race and there were not enough writers in the minority race. So I felt that you know I could contribute in that sense. But over time, that's when I, I, I was exposed a bit more. And eventually, I went to one tea session after another, and and that's how all my political journey began.
0: Wow, it seems like a very long and interesting journey. Yeah,
1: uh, it's something that I did not want to also, but I think it it unfolded quite well because I really felt now more than ever that the purpose is real and the cause is massive. Uh. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, thanks for sharing that. And um, uh, going back to the topic of this podcast, right, about redefining success and talking about failures, being resilient to that. Uh, I know that as an as a member of parliament, you have spoken up about various related things such as redefining success, nurturing better mental health for our youths, having new pathways for IT students to enroll into polys. Um, can you share a bit more about uh, how you envision our Singaporean youth to be like in the future? How they view failures, how they should view successes?
1: Uh, so I think it's unfair to talk about the youth if you don't I root in your parents.
0: Oh, okay. Somehow,
1: the parents play a very big role in how a child defines success. So, let, let, let's let's be honest, you know, for any change to take place, it won't happen instantaneously. What we have here is really a culture and a mindset that we've always believed that a degree is a stepping stone to bigger things. I, I, have, I don't disagree with that it is a passport, you know. Uh, but it's not the passport because there are many ways someone can be an expert in their field. I think that's what we are looking for. We are looking for experts in a field right? and we want those people to really shine. Uh, of course, we want normal workers and I think that's fine too. But I think as much as possible, we want someone who believes in their ability. And I always envision that that is the most important part for us to identify our own strengths and make it a tool for success. Because success really is how we define, and right now we are still defining it based on the degree, which is fine, uh, but it's not the only way. And I envision our students in the future to, to enjoy learning. You know, for me, it was a struggle because there were times you just didn't enjoy. You know, mm. uh, you can make me learn as much uh, history as you want, but you know, it piques your interest a bit, but you can never go further than that for me. But you know, that's when I think we are in the right direction in understanding that there are unique strengths and uh, and we want to exploit that. We want you to grow in that. We want people to know that there are different paths to success. So success cannot be defined by failure. And that's when I think this whole talk about failure is nice, you know, to know that. But in life, there will always be failure. But you must always see the option that failure is just another uh, avenue for you to go into. Because right now, failure is really negative and I don't see it that way. I see failure as not just a turning point, it's, it's a crossroad between success and failure. Failure is just another door towards success. I think this is something that I, I, I really want to push people to see. Uh, you, when you reach a point where it's a test of whether it's a success or failure, if let's say you go into that failure route, failure route is just another door a success. I think this is something that is very difficult to get people to see. And I I do not know whether my experience, what I went through can be related to that, but I hope people can make some relations that, you know, uh, failure is really just another door for you to achieve success. I strongly believe that we really need to, have that mindset change but mindset change cannot occur overnight and and it may take a generation you know for this to happen and i'm glad that the parents nowadays they're beginning to feel open about it you know i've talked to i recently had some interviews for students who are coming from the direct admissions into polytechnics Uh, these are students who cannot go in through the joint admissions exercise the usual one
0: yes
1: or they don't are not the ones from the early entry exercise so these are the direct ones some of them come in with experience, some of them come in because they really feel strongly about the course because they have that interest. And I think this is what we want. We want to provide as much opportunities and pathways for individuals to find their success. And I've had students who come in, uh, direct entry, and tell me that they actually gone through poly two years in uh, field in engineering. They have no problems with it. They're not failing. Mm-hmm. But they just felt that it was not a match. And they felt that they better switch now because they've now found something that they're really interested in. And I think this is what our system is now allowing for. I even asked them, you know, what do their parents think? And I'm glad to hear that many of the parents are now more open. I'm glad to hear that parents are very supportive of their children to to do something that they like. So when I asked a bit more and, you know, we were just chatting and, and they shared that, you know, their parents are both engineers. And their brother is also an engineer. And, you know, and they felt the pressure to be an engineer. But you know, eventually, when he they, they wanted to do something else, the parents were supportive. And I think this is exactly what we want. We want that whole structure, that environment of how we redefi- redefine success is really different. You know, we've gone to a stage where skills are very much important. You could go to an interview with Google, for example. <laughs> we have a degree in computer engineering. But if you cannot get that coding out in 10 minutes during the interview, you fail because it's really a skill set that they want. It's a mindset that we also look out for. It's the kind of uh, person you are and these are things that are beyond the degree offers. and I think Uh, more and more employers are looking out for that. And that's why I I am really optimistic that we are in the right direction. The MOE is also doing the right steps in us moving in that direction. And collectively, as a community, we are beginning to open up. So I'm very optimistic of our future.
0: Many things you shared there, one is about um, the importance of skills rather than just the degree uh, in finding a job, in uh, elevating yourself. Two, I think you also mentioned about parents today being more open. I think your, your kids are very yeah. lucky, your uh, four kids, to have a parent who is, you know, very open and supportive about whatever path they wish and you don't confine them to the traditional uh, doctor-lawyer-engineer path to yeah. success. Um, and I think the last thing you, you also mentioned was um, two pathways, right, either success or you fail in whatever you do. And um, failure, after you walk through that door, you, you find a few more other doors. Right. I think as long as you walk and you don't stop, you just keep on going, you'll eventually find that door to success. However, I also I so, I so, um, realised that maybe we should see success as not a destination that you reach, a door that you open, but more of uh, the journey of walking. Right. It's also important to enjoy that whole yep. process. Thank, thanks so much for the wonderful chat today. I think my last question for you is uh, for any listeners out there who is going through a tough time, a setbacks with the stress and exams, or not doing well in whatever field, like finding it difficult to bounce back, what are some advice that you'd like to tell them today?
1: Uh, I would say first and foremost, uh, don't sweat it. I think first and foremost, I think we have to really ask ourselves, why are we doing this in the first place? Even if you want to take your exams. I'm not saying don't do your exam. Hmm. I'm saying you got to get your intentions right. You got to see it. Positively, uh, Not easy for me to just say positive. It's really about you trying to create a positivity out of it. Uh, always see something that is stopping you, not as a challenge that will block you, but as a hurdle for you to jump over. You know, when I was doing hurdles uh, uh, in a race, do you know how many hurdles I hit before I finish the race? There are times I hit all the hurdles and I finish the race and I still win the race. <laughs> yes, What does that say? You know, it says that, you know, hurdles are just there as barriers. They could stop you, but it's also something that could push you or propel you further. And for me, every time I hit a hurdle, it doesn't stop me from trying to move towards my goal. I think this is something that all of you uh, should always tell yourself, you know. Uh, It may hurt when you hit a hurdle, uh, but you should not stop because always ask yourself, what's the intention, what's the game plan, what's the end that you have in mind? So if you do not have that yet, I think it's good for you to take some time. You know, every day, I always believe it's always important to take that one minute of reflection time to just think and and just zero in again about what life is all about. For me, it's about family and balancing that family time that I have with the responsibility that I have with the community, with what I want to address in parliament, for example. And and then I think for you as a student, take it into perspective again and, and, and see how your challenges that awaits you Uh, it's really for you to to go through, not alone, but with others. Uh, And this is where I want you all to also remember that there is a support system out there. If you do not have Mm -hmm. one, always remember that your parents are a natural support system. Uh, Sometimes they may seem constrained, uh, but to be honest, if you are really willing to talk to them and share with them your problems, they are there for you. At the same time, I want you to look out for Good friends who could help you along the way. And the third and most important is find your passion. Because through your passion, it can propel you much further to where you are. Who could expect, you know, my passion in sports would propel me to do a degree. Eventually make me do a PhD. So uh, I would say find your passion. You never know where it will lead you to. So all the best to everyone. I wish everybody uh, success in what they do. And always remember success Mm -hmm. uh, is not defined by others. It's defined by you. But you have to be the one who owns it. You know, to decide for yourself what do you want for your future. So with that uh, Rana, thanks for having
0: me today. I hope it's been useful yeah, Thank you for those coning remarks. Yeah. yes, absolutely. I think this is one of the episodes I really enjoyed recording because you gave so many new perspectives and I think your story itself is truly inspiring to us youth today. So
1: thanks thanks again Re- I, I, I want to appreciate you also for having such you know podcasts out there because you know this is another avenue where we can reach out to others. And uh, I just want to put you out there, if you want to reach out to me too, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I'm always happy to to hear uh, from anyone. And uh, Reiner, if you need me to come on again, uh, I'm more than happy to support you too. Not because you're my resident. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, good. Thanks, Dr. And uh, And yeah, listeners, if you're interested in reaching out to him, please do feel free.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Reiner. Have a good day
0: ahead. Bye-bye. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's episode of Let's Talk Failure. Thank you guys so much for listening in, and thanks Dr. One Resolve for being such a great guest. We have also launched our very own Let's Talk Failure Telegram channel to send updates of episodes, behind-the-scenes reflections, and details of our upcoming contests. Do check us out via the links below. Thanks and I'll see you next week with our next guest. Bye!